All right. Welcome. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, I'm doing real well. I got to use my chainsaw today, so um, all my aggression is gone. I'm just a, a little lamb. <laughs> you can lead mer- dutifully through this podcast. <laughs> That's, uh, that's always good. You always, you know, big manly man gets out there with their chainsaw and like destroy mm-hmm. something. How did, by the way, how did that become like a manly feature where we're like destroying? I always think of like, you know, my understanding of man is to like build something, you know, but it seems that we're like, we're like, uh, chip, uh, chip gains on, uh, that show that they, that home makeover <laughs> show where he's like demolition day is the best day. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of see that. <laughs> I don't know. I th- I think it's it's definitely a caricature. Uh, I mean, the root of husband is of course um, based off husbandry, which is taking care of animals. So um, maybe it's because we don't take care of enough stuff, we have to destroy things in order to feel like we're uh, useful. Oh, that's a very good point. Because you know, there's a lot of uh, entertainment time nowadays, as opposed to the olden days when mm-hmm. we worked from sunup to sundown. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were happy to take your Sunday off. Yeah. Um, so we had an election last week, John. Did you know we that? We did. Yeah. Did you vote? Did uh, you vote, Jeff? Did, I, did you vote, John? I did vote. I did vote. Yeah. I was, ha- you know, I was happy to see the bond referendum pass. So so, uh, uh, so I have a confession, and everybody out there is going to, you know, they're going to rag on me, but I didn't vote. Not even for the bond referendums? Well, the local school board candidates? Oh, I voted for local school board. I didn't vote for the, uh, well, I also went and helped out in other local school board stuff, but I didn't vote for the, the big ones we're supposed to vote for. But, but you cast a ballot. I mean, like, that's the key thing. So I think there's a, there's a part to voting where if you don't fill something in, um, you know, I think that's just as, that can be just as powerful as, uh, you know, voting for some, someone well, and that was my thing is, and I think that they talked about it afterwards, um, is candidate quality, you know, like, mm-hmm. give me somebody to vote for. I am so sick and tired of voting against people. Like, I, and I, I got to believe everybody is, aren't they? I mean, at this point in their lives, <laughs> it's been so long. That, that seems to be what the talking heads are saying is that, um, I guess if you look at some of the exit polls, and maybe I've been listening to the same same circuit on the podcast and I'm just repeating everything, but um, people are generally upset with both parties. And so they're not going to give anyone the benefit of the doubt that comes in and says, well, well I'm going to fix stuff. Um, I think like in New Hampshire, uh, P- Chris Sununu, the, the Republican governor won by maybe 10 points, like won pretty handily. And then the, on the, de- on the Senate side, the Democrat, um, the incumbent Democrat Senator Maggie Hassan one uh pretty handily so you know that's just one that's a one smaller state um with a very i would say unique uh, set of people but um in general people uh didn't want a lot of change because they didn't think that what they were going to change to was going to make things better um so they can say that they're you know and i i get these surveys and stuff and i say i i don't i don't trust that congress is doing anything right i i'm not happy with uh joe biden uh, you know, he doesn't have my approval, um, but people in general are not going to, going to, you know, yes, they realize things are bad, but 
there's an aspect where they don't necessarily want to go and pick something that's completely unknown and very likely could be worse. Like I think that they want some kind of competence in their government and uh, a bunch of people going around saying that you can't trust elections um, doesn't give them confidence in the the, the quality in those uh, those potential elected leaders. Yeah, and it you know it's funny because that message of you know you can't trust elections it kind of started with Trump. But I mean, maybe it started with Stacey Abrams, right? <laughs> the Democrats, and then it, and it was Trump. But like, it's it's so across the board now on both parties of like, you have to vote for me, or and if the other guy wins, it's somehow it's rigged, you know. There's a the commentary podcast. John Podhortz is the editor, of commentary magazine, and he's got a full rundown, and he loves to bring this up. It actually all started back in like 2000 when uh, Bush v. Gore. And um, it, that went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court just made a call and uh, Bush ended up winning that. But for a number of years after that, Democrats would say, well, George Bush is not my president. He didn't win. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, that was kind of the genesis of this, like, we can't trust our elections bit. So it's been around for, at this point, 22 years. And it doesn't seem to be get it going away because it just becomes an easy scapegoat when something doesn't go your way that you can say, well, I just can't trust the elections. Um, but, and again, it's, it's ironic because, you know, it's people asking you to vote for them. Well, and, and that leads to like, all right, so let's say that we can trust our elections, which I think there's an argument to be made that maybe the elections are less in the people's hands than we want them to be. You know, I, I talk about that, but that's more like a system thing. That's not like purposeful changing of votes or manipulating results to get your guy in office. Let's say you can't trust the, the, the results. Where does the blame fall when you lose, right? Like, so if, if we were all expecting this big red wave, right? What's the reason? Why did, why did it not happen, right? I, I would argue in a large degree, you know, candidate quality. You know, we're not, we're not, there's nobody to vote for. We're always voting against somebody. It's always about something that really doesn't affect the everyday people's lives. And where does that candidate quality fall? Like whose responsibility is it to get good candidates, you know, in the general election? Like, what would you say? The, where does that responsibility fall? Does it fall on the people? Does it fall on the local parties? Like, where does it fall to get a good quali quality candidate on the ballot? Well, that goes back to asking the right question. Um, I think it's about the people. I mean, like, um, we think about the Virginia governor's race from last year. I would say that Glenn Youngkin was not the party's pick. And I would say that based on the number of people who kind of supported other candidates, there was definitely not, the, you know, the, Glenn Youngkin was not the establishment candidate. But he was able to convince enough people that he could be the choice. And, you know, I think maybe it helped that he was in a crowded field. Uh, help that he had enough of his own sort of financial backing to get his message out there and to tell people who he was. Um, but I, I would say ultimately it's it's the people that make that decision, and we we the people, as as uh, you like to see on bumper stickers now, you know we're responsible for that. I think if you want to throw a little shade at the party, it's that the party um, maybe doesn't help uh, recruit people through this process and sort of teach them how it goes. Um, but I, I mean, like, a, I'm, a, I'm of the theory that running for office is easy. All you gotta do is fill out paperwork and ask people to vote for you. So, <laughs> you know, don't, don't blame the party for that. You know, 
they might be a stick in the mud in some spots and they might help you in other spots, but it's all about you getting out there and, and trying to get your message and to reach as many people as possible. And what do you need to get out there and reach as many as possible? What would you need in order to do that? Uh, time. And? and if you don't have time, a lot of money. Time and a lot of money, right? So, so what you're saying is if the party is just going to tell you, hey, fill out this piece of paper and go create your own market, go build your own business, essentially, um, that means you need, you, need, you need wealth to back you, realistically. Or mm -hmm. you need to be able to like be independently wealthy so you have all the time to build this out and the resources. But if you don't, let's say you're just a regular citizen who studies a lot, who reads a lot, who is very involved in their local community, community and understands what the people are kind of looking for. And you want to be able to like voice that opinion to those other people that have the money and the ability to run for office like how do you where would you go and 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 maybe you're a, a qualified candidate but the party's not going to help you and the people aren't going to know about you because you don't have money to reach them is that the type of system that creates you know good quality candidates no but i might push back and say like once you get you know once you win or something if you don't have um I like, you know, thinking about the, we were talking a little bit about virtues and discipline last week. You know, if you don't have an ability um, to kind of say no to the pressures to use your office, uh, you might end up being one of those bad candidates. So I would, I would say that um, we're kind of stuck because uh, if you don't have the money or time, you, you really have to almost bootstrap your way through politics and you, you got to start at a very local level make a name, make connections, build up a reputation. And it just takes a while. Whereas you've got someone who comes in um, with millions of dollars on their own and they can parachute in and they can uh, you know, blow everyone out of the water because they can quickly get their message. So there's kind of an asymmetry in that. But um, you know, I, would, I would submit that going back to candidate quality uh, and being eternally optimistic, I would say candidate quality can cut through that in enough situations over enough time. So um, in our race, when we, when we ran in the primary, so what I, what, I'll t what I like to tell people is like, you know, if people like criticize me and say, hey, you didn't vote in the general election for the House, right? And I go, well, you know, give me somebody to vote for, right? But my other thing is, if you say that I'm not doing my part, my argument back to you is like, I'm knocking doors. I'm like talking to people, I'm going to meetings, I am, you know, uh, I voting in the primary, right? And I think that's like one of the most important things, because if you're not voting in the primary, you're really not having your voice heard, you're just saying whatever they tell you to say, right? Because you get two yes. choices, right? That's it. <laughs> and uh, in the primary, you had 11 choices. There are a lot of different voices that could be said uh, or be heard. And so, you know, back to the primary, there was 11 of us that run, ran for office. They charged us to get on the ballot. It was like, what, $7,000 roughly? Uh, a little bit over that, yeah. yeah. What was that money for? Digital ads. For what? <laughs> Digital ads to tell people that there was an election on the wrong day at the wrong time uh, and, in, in the wrong places. And so, all right, so this goes to, you know, a lot of people out there want to blame 
like or say that the elections are corrupt or whatever because of voting and like the way that votes are manipulated. I would argue that a lot of the ways that elections are manipulated and corrupted are by the parties, in this case, you know, collecting money to do a purpose, but then not doing that purpose. Right. So like you mentioned, the party does nothing, but they said they were going to do something. They said they were going to let our community, which is like 756,000, which is too big for one representative, by the way, they're going to let them all know where to vote and that there's an election going on. But they didn't really do that with the money that we gave them, you know, and I don't know what they did with that money. But, you know, I was told something similar to you. And I was also told that it was uh, it went to pay for like the voting locations, which I think a lot of them were schools and it was given for free anyway. So I'm not I was kind of confused by that. Um, But. I think what it does is if your party stays quiet and they're not like trying to get good people to run for office, you know, they're not, uh, they're really only looking for who can fundraise. And, yes. and so like, I'll tell my story just a little bit here. Um, my first endeavor, I think the first time I told somebody that was like in local politics that had any type of power was on July 4th, the year that Youngkin was running for office. I said, you know, I want to run for Congress. Now, July 4th of that year, you were already running, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I didn't know that. Like, I, I'm still like new to this whole political game at this point. I started running on April 1st as a joke and then no one, you know, <laughs> people took me seriously. <laughs> and so I remember uh, him telling me, he's like, you know, you don't want to run. You know, you need to learn how to fundraise. This was one of the first things out of his mouth. And then the other thing was, you know, it's Janine Lawson's year. You know, she's going to run and she's, she's, she's got support here. She's going to, she's going to win. So, you know, what you need to do is, it was, was one of the first times I heard this run for school board. Mm. <laughs> and I, you know, I kept on hearing that a lot. Um, but I found it, you know, I reflect back and then I also, I reflect back on a couple different moments. You know, one was like a Princeton County meeting where they asked like, Hey, if you're interested in running for office, go see these people from district 10 in the back. And I went back there and I'm like, hey, I'm interested in running for Congress. And I kind of got like, you know, a little bit of the side eye. I connected on Facebook with a couple of the people. I sent an email, a phone call, but I got no response back, you know, no encouragement. Um, And I think back and I go, you know, I wish that first person would have introduced me to you. You know, instead of telling me, hey, don't run and don't participate, do this other thing I want you to do, going, hey, you know, if you want to run, you know, here are some resources, here's what you need to do, you know, or some sort of vetting process would also be nice where they're like, are you qualified? Do you know the constitution? Like, can you do this job? Um, Ideally, yeah. Yeah. But their first thought is money. And then their second thought is the other person that they've already decided who's won. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And, And, you know, but it, as as people in this as somebody that lives in this community i think you know instead of being frustrated that you don't have good leadership maybe you should start to hold your like local party leadership accountable for their failed actions because look i don't know what the purpose of the party is if it's not to find good candidates to run for office and then help them get there right like so like out of the 11 people that ran for office i personally would put you the most qualified to run at the time that you run, even above myself, because you know when I was running, I was I was learning more than anything else. I don't think I was prepared like fully 
by May to go. I think I'm prepared to go to Congress now, which was always my idea. I was like, well, if I win the primary, I'll be ready by the time I get to office. But back then, in all honesty, I just wasn't. Um, but I think that you were. Um, and I, I, th- I appreciate that. I th- but I think back and I go, well, this guy didn't put me in touch to help you. He wasn't doing anything to help a guy who's already committed to running for office. And he's already like telling somebody that this other person is probably going to win anyways. And mm-hmm. I just, man, as a citizen, that kind of upsets me because it's like, well, maybe me working with you helps you get that. Like, you know, you don't have the extra cash that to pay the pack people all the money. Right. But maybe maybe the extra work, the extra citizen involvement or engagement helps get your candidacy off the ground a little bit more. And we're able to build something. And then instead of hung out running against Jennifer Wexton and look, you know, I got my differences with hung because he didn't he didn't have anything to say. And I, I was speaking to uh, to a couple people after the election and they were like, Jeff, what does hung stand for? And I said, I don't know. Low gas prices? I, I don't know because he didn't say anything. And they go, you know, that's what that's what we were talking about. That's, you know, we we were watching his commercials and we were watching his stuff and we just couldn't figure out, like, what was he going to do when he got to Congress? There was no real plan. There's no real ideas. So instead of having, you know, hung as our candidate, running against Jennifer Wexton, who I think is completely unqualified for office, we could have potentially had a John Beatty candidacy. Right. With with maybe Jeff Mayhew, like running shotgun inside the like, maybe maybe I could be your chief of staff or something. I don't know. Um, And the thing is, is like the first moment when I saw you on stage, I remember you said, I believe in pushing the decision making and the power down to like the small the smallest local level. You said something to that effect. I wrote it. my Oh, right. Because because we're we're talking about um, federal funding and such. And. I know that um, at the time of around that same time, I think there was a big pork barrel bill that had just gone through, um, <coughs> and uh, Wexton was was crowing about how she had gotten millions of dollars for like sidewalks throughout Loudoun County. I think there was a fire um, funding for a fire building in Middleburg, and my just my point was like I just don't think that should be funded at the federal level. I'm not opposed to any of those projects, but bring that you know get the county to do that. The county's got their own ability to borrow money, this, their own bonds that show up on the ballot every single year uh, that some people don't like and other people's are okay to happen because it, it improves the community. Um, and that was my, that was just my, that, thank you for bringing that up. Like that, the point was, you know, the Loudoun County should be responsible for funding a fire station in Middleburg. It shouldn't be Jennifer Wexton shaking hands, trying to get on the appropriations committee, so that she can bring back a couple million dollars to her district and be like, oh, aren't, aren't I the best here? You know, I've done 11,000 uh, constituent phone call answers. So you really should send me back to back for a sec for another term. And so that was that was at the first debate that I ever attended. That was the first like I think I like filed. I I entered the race like a week before that. Right. So that was the first time I saw at the you. Deadline, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, first time I saw you. The first time I saw anybody that was running. And in one sentence, I already knew what you like, where your principles were for government and how you Mm -hmm. thought about that in one sentence. But throughout all of the debates, throughout all of the commercials, I still and I think a large number of people in our district still don't know what Hung stood for. And like, who do you blame for that? Do you blame the party? 
I would, or, you, you know, you could also blame the PACs, right? I don't think the, I don't, Hung wasn't the choice of the party. He, he didn't try to, um, you know, I think he, uh, they kind of worked against him to a large degree. I mean, there was the, there was more polling locations in Prince William County than there was in Loudoun mm-hmm. County. Um, I think that worked against him considering, you know, Lawson was heavily uh, on the Prince William side and Hung was on the Loudoun side. Plus there was you and Brandon and Caleb. You guys were all from, in Brooke, you guys were all from Loudoun County. And most of the- We're from like Western Loudoun County too, right. which got one, one and a half locations. Right. And they, and they had, you know, fewer than the Prince William side, right? Um, well, I mean, you could also say that uh, going back to like party insiders supporting party insiders, the guy who chairs the the 10th district GOP, he got a lot of help in his state Senate campaign a couple of years ago from Janine Lawson. So, you know, even though he was very, very good about not throwing publicly any support, you could also argue that he kind of owed other people. And so, you know, you might read through that and say like, well, he was trying to do what he could to help his preferred candidates. So... So if if so if you're if you're at home and you're like, hey Jeff, uh, you said that the, it's the party's fault, but the party didn't support Hung, so how did we end up with Hung as a candidate? Well, here's the other thing that happens in elections, especially when you have a firehouse primary. So the party's goal, realistically, is to keep the voting circle small. That's why they don't advertise and go out to people. Now, if they know all the people and they build relationships over years with these people, and they turn those people out all the time, they kind of know where they're going to vote. And they're heavily influencing them, emailing, text messaging them, and telling them all the things they want them to hear, right? They've got their own environment. Their own primary environment is essentially what they create. Well, how do you circumvent that? Well, if you've got 11 people running for office, you've got typically between 10 to 13,000 votes that are cast in the primary election. Your goal should be to bring in about 3,000 of your own votes, of people that typically don't. And an easy way to do that would be able to reach a voting base that's not typically touched, let's say the Vietnamese community. Um, You would be able to bring them along. Um, I think what Hung did was he went around to uh, different churches in his community and outside of his community, realistically, and fundraised. Then he was able to bring in a new, a new uh, part of the party, I think, military and, um, you know, was it, uh, you know, different groups were able to come in and vote that typically didn't vote. He brought them in. They were voting specifically for him and nobody else. And he also reached a large portion of people with all those fundraising dollars that he pulled away from the extra churches. He did targeted Facebook ads, right, you know, right between the last month of the election. I think it was really smart, well done. Um, And he was able to bring in that extra vote, get the word out better than anybody else at the right time. And he was able to defeat Janine Lawson. And that's done through PAC money. Because, and I think I mentioned this on a different PAC uh, podcast, or maybe I just say it a lot, is the the two factors that have the most play in who gets elected to office and who the candidates are, are the parties, and the PACs, the people are not even in the room <laughs> when these things are kind of decided, right? Because, you know, it, like, again, 756,000 people in the, in the district and only, what, 15,000 people voted in the primary? 15,000 people decided for 756,000 that Hung was going to be on the ballot 
And I don't even think Wexton had a primary challenger. Am I mistaken? No, and that's no, that she didn't. I think someone um, maybe filed their paperwork, but then, as often happens in these cases, they uh, you get talked to and you get talked out of running. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you could say that's what happened to me to a large degree. Every time I tried to talk to somebody inside the party and tell them I wanted to run, they kept on telling me why I couldn't. Now. Look, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm, I should never run or whatever. Or, and here's, here's the thing. Maybe I'm raw and I'm new and I'm passionate and I'm, I'm work, I want to work hard and I want to learn. And you're just not helping me. You're not giving me any tips. You're not guiding me anywhere. So you forced me, you forced my hand to do all these other things where you could have brought me in and been, and, and been honest with me and helped me out and guided me to somebody like John and, and, and the other Johns and the other Brandons, you know, like, and said, hey, work together. I always found it really frustrating as a citizen and somebody who ran for office that there were 11 of us that ran on the primary ballot, but almost none of us was reached out to to help Hunk. I mean, we were on the, uh, we got stuck on the email list afterwards. I got the, a bunch of emails, but yeah, never a, a real personal um, uh, connection or call out. And, and, you know, and that goes back to what did Hung have to say? Well, I know what John had to say, right? John was talking about uh, technology and he was talking about, you know, his perspective and understanding of how government should work. Caleb Max was talking about, um, you know, China and combating that foreign power. Brandon Michon was talking about financial literacy, right? There was so much to be said on that stage and he didn't carry any of it into his campaign at all. And, and, you know, I've written about it. I've talked about it on the pod. I've tried. I tried to reach out. I tried to be, you know, to be helpful. And I'm sure you would have been. I'm sure the other candidates would have been as well. But they didn't really want our help. They didn't want our ideas. They didn't want our voice. They just kind of wanted us to knock doors, help fundraise, so mm -hmm. they could decide, you know, what to do. And, again, as a, as a citizen, it disappoints me. Um, because I want, I want to have somebody to vote for, you know, and yeah, I don't know. That's just my, and, I, and ideas. I think that, that's, what's missing so much is it, you know, you can, you can go around and fuss about gas prices and stuff, but I mean, like so much of that is outside of people's control. Now, obviously there's things about like, uh, potentially opening up my, uh, wells and fixing the refinery process. But in general, you know, that's a commodity that we're kind of at the mercy of a, of a big cartel that, at the moment is um, interested in keeping them as high as possible so they can fund fund a war in Eastern Europe. So, you know, unless we were to maybe go to war or something and defeat this cartel, I don't see how we could really have a, a tremendous impact on what they do. Um, you know, I mean, Biden went to Saudi Arabia to kiss some rings to see if they could op open the spigot. And then they just kind of, you know, they were upset because he keeps talking about uh, Jamal Khashoggi and uh, the you know, the killing of the Washington Post reporter. So they don't want to give him any, uh, get anything to hang his hat on. Um, so I just think it's, it's so much about like, it's running against other people and it's not running on what I'm going to, what I might do that could make your life better or what I might do that could fix these problems. It's all just like, well, this guy's bad. This person's so bad. This person is really, really bad. And you know, I'm, I might, I might not be as bad as them. And, and by the way, if you don't vote for me, you're destroying democracy. 
and destroying democracy. Yeah. <laughs> now, which you know, I'm looking at my clock, my watch right now. It's, it's uh, 9 a.m. on Sunday, and we're you know, democracy is still here. So I, I, I guess you could say that's because the, the red wave didn't materialize. Sorry. People. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, what is democracy if not mob rule, though? I mean, that's what democracy is. It's mob rule. Like we're misrepresenting what democracy is. Like our founders did not want democracy. They wanted a representative democracy. <laughs> What's uh, what does George Orwell say? Democracy is what um, common liberals want when when something is good and fascism is anything that they don't like. Um, you know, I got that book over there. I can grab it out of here. That's from his uh, politics and language essay, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's a democracy. Oh, I don't remember. Democracy is anything that's good for you, and fascism is anything that's bad for you. <laughs> uh, once you read that, you're kind of like, oh, all this, these slogans make sense. Yeah. And and I think he he also uh, says like democracy. It's like a word. It, it means nothing. It changes mm-hmm. with time. And you know anybody that you could change the word democracy to anything, and it can be it can the sentence can be the same thing. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? Speaking of democracy and it failing, uh, let's talk about the the election of eighteen seventy seven. So I guess I may have heard about this before, but in eighteen seventy seven, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes was running against uh, this guy Til- Tilden, um, a senator, Democratic senator, um, and uh, you know this the talk. If you just Google the compromise of eighteen seventy seven, you'll get more facts about it. Um, but the the general gist is uh, Tilden gets um, so the, the the number of people uh, because they were they were expanding the house and expanding states through this so you needed 185 electoral votes to win right um, and uh, Tilden gets 100 I'm sorry 185 to win Tilden gets 184 just fair and outright and then Rutherford Rutherford gets 165 so there are 20 electoral college votes 20 electors that are kind there's sort of a you could say there's a, a discrepancy about them that the people can't really trust trust the process um and so what happens is these these states four different states all just send competing slates of elector electors to washington dc and kind of hand it to congress to figure it out and this when i i just read this last night and it just kind of like blew my mind that what we saw with the 2020 election was nothing new. And I think that's the thing that you and I love to harp on is that like, there's nothing new under the sun and we've all been through these crazy situations before and we'll get through them because uh, you know, good people, good people do good things. Um, So it was just like, what was this, this whole talk in 2020 about not trusting elections and stuff? Like we've been in in certain other situations too, where there was kind of this uncertainty around the electoral college and the votes. And so Congress got together and they came up with a uh, an act that said we're going to have a 15-person commission. It's going to be um, eight Republicans, eight Democrats, um, five from the Senate, five from the House, and I think five uh, from the Supreme Court maybe. And it's sort of the idea is that there's one in, sort of quote independent person um, to just go through these these count these electoral uh, voter votes and to pick which person they should go for. So. You know, uh, Hayes had to run the gauntlet and get all of them. And through this process, he ends up collecting all 20 electoral college votes that push him to 185. Um, and you could say, well, that's um, OK. So he, that's great. He wins. But the, the key thing is, um, you know, obviously people are upset that their side didn't win this, that they were so close. They were one 
vote away from winning the presidency. And again, this is this is the context. This is post Civil War. This is the Reconstruction era, and the Democrats have been out of power for a while, and they had just gotten control of the House, um, but they didn't control the Senate. And so, to have someone in the presidency would be a a nice uh, way for them to kind of their their rebirth after the Civil War. Um, and they end up, you know, just through this process, they don't they don't get it. And there's people that are upset about this, and so that the prudential leadership in the house decides that it would be good if we just kind of let this process play out because these are the rules that everyone agreed to that you know um i think both sides sides thought that maybe they could get a couple votes um through this whole count and so that's why they set up a commission to go through and to count the votes and to to certify them um and then when people were upset with them they were kind of encouraged to just sort of you know, deal with it like you know this is what you what you agree to we'll take it now there is there's nothing written down about this but there's sort of there's suspicions that the part of this compromise was that the um the government the president would remove all the federal forces from the south which would allow some of the, the the more the terrible things that would happen in the jim crow system so i think you know there's perhaps it, there's imprudence imprudency on both sides in terms of we really want the presidency. So what are we going to do? What kind of compromises are we going to make that are going to have knock on effects down the line? But I think the key thing is people look at the system and they try to make the best out of it, given what they understand. And that's trying to count these votes. That's trying to come up with a situation where everyone can kind of agree on the basic rules. And most importantly, and this is what I think you like to say is missing so much is they stick with what they agreed to. And you know, you know, one side didn't win, but they didn't throw a fit. They didn't. Um, uh, they're it's interesting mention in the Wikipedia article that people were threatening to go watch uh, March on Washington. But Grant, the president at the time, made sure that there was enough security around that. So, like, there's a lot of emotion around this, like just what we saw in the 2020 election. But at the end of the, of the day, um, you know, a our country is, is around 150 years later. We're still here. And B. Um, it's not the end of the world. People get through these things. They follow and agree, follow through with what they agree to. And we're, we're, I think all bet all the better for it. Yeah. So a few things on that, um, th- during the election, both, I think both the Democrats and the, the Republicans in like local party races and local parts of the, the country had some shenanigans, right. Mm-hmm. Um, where they were affecting the vote essentially. Uh, like like ballot drop off boxes, I, like, you know, and 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 it wasn't like it wasn't, it was both sides, right? It was the mm-hmm. Republicans were, uh, you know, they were kind of corrupt with business, and they had that spoil system that they were they were doing up there. And even though Hayes wasn't really, you know, he was a reformer, it was still the party that was kind of in charge of this stuff that was was doing all this stuff and manipulating the vote in the North and in the south you know they used intimidation to vote i believe they attacked a courthouse in was it new orleans or somewhere else they had a republican um in office and there was a, a fight i i might be getting the date wrong on this but th- this you know something like this happened and they they definitely were using intimidation to like suppress the vote right and so when you had this non win you know, the people in power had to look and go, hey, look what we're doing. We're like, we're kind of fighting against each other here again. We just got out of the Civil War. We need to find some sort of compromise to make it through here. Here's the rules. Here's how we do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you hit, you talked about it. Um, it was that kind of 
you know, let's end Reconstruction and let's, you know, the Democrats get the end Reconstruction. They get their state uh, elections back and everything and get their power back. Um, and the Republicans, you know, they get the White House and they get to, to keep moving the country in that very corporate, you know, gilded age fashion, even though, like I said, Hayes was a reformer, but the party still wielded the power and mm -hmm. keeping that power led to more and more and more Republican power as it goes through the through the years. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to understand. It's important to to be like, look, there's bad people and there's good people on both sides, right? Let's like point out the bad on both sides and then let's like help the good, <laughs> like make the compromises and build the, the legislature and the stuff that we need, the rules that we need going forward to be able to like coexist and understand each other. So speaking of, uh, of, uh, of working together and kind of my a parenting win this past week is, I don't know if you saw this, but um, something to look forward to is Glenn Youngkin, uh, wrote an apology letter to Nancy Pelosi for some of the comments he made after her husband got attacked. And that was a something you had brought up in the podcast. And um, I mean, did you, you saw this, right? That I did. He'd written the apology letter. And, I did. You know, I, I think it's, I tweeted about it. It's commendable. It's commendable. <laughs> so I, I, and I completely agree. And so I actually, I tweeted that like, Hey, good job. And I also, his, uh, I think he said something about Trump too. And he talked about the behavior and I'm like, yeah, there we go. Like go Glenn Youngkin. I, you know, call out the childish behavior for crying out loud. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I think the like George Mason Democrats or whatever, uh, like tweeted like some, something kind of like juvenile about Glenn Youngkin. Um, and I was like, you know, this is, this is childish behavior and that they, they brought up the, um, the whole not the whole Pelosi thing. And I'm like, look, he apologized for that. Right. Yeah. He apologized for that. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't done in public. It happened in public. So it has to be a public. And I'm like, who says like, does, does Nancy Pelosi does demand that it's in public? Like, is the apology for her or is it for you individually, the person who wasn't involved in the situation at all that just, you know, you're just watching, right? Like, why do you get to decide how the apology should be when, I, and then somebody else was like, well, it didn't happen fast enough. It, you know, it took it, it. He only did it because of this other reason. And it's like, look, you should always welcome forgiveness. You know, you should never shoot it down. You got to give people the benefit of the doubt. If you think that people are bad, then they're bad. Right. Like they're just bad. <laughs> and if you think that people are good, you're at least giving the op them the opportunity to be good. And I believe that more people will choose that opportunity, you know, if given it. Yeah, I mean, the, you could say that. He just may not have understood. These things take a while. Again, because it's a private letter, he may have wrote it the next day or the same day, hours later. And it's just kind of in the process, it kind of comes to light. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I wrote an apology letter. And um, and that's when, you know, part of it is he may not want to kind of bring it, you know, he may be so ashamed of it that he, he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And it's only when someone says, like, someone brings it up, then he kind of says, oh, yeah, I, I apologized. And I try to do it tactfully and in private. Um, and you know, we'll leave it at that because I think that's the, the key thing is it's, it's the forgiveness part, but it's also the forgetting part and the, the ability to move on and walk away. So that's something we can all teach our children. You know, you hit on something there that really, uh, I really uh, appreciate it is, you know, maybe he didn't want to bring it back up because he was ashamed of what he did. Right. Like, I mean, we look, we all make mistakes. Like, and again, you know, going back to what he said, it was not the most egregious thing that has been said. Right. Let's let's no, let's let, no, you no, know, no. It, it wasn't that bad. But like I can relate 
that you know i when i make a mistake like i will apologize but like after that like i don't want to talk about it anymore like i mm-hmm. got it like i i won't do that again i promise it is at the front of my mind i promise i'm thinking about it all the time and when you hound somebody and you're like your apology wasn't good enough what you're doing you're shaming them and you're you're making them relive this bad moment over and over again and you're trying to make that person believe that they're bad but in reality is like maybe they're not you don't really know you have to like you have to give them the benefit of the doubt you have to be able to forgive them um so they can move forward so yeah no i totally appreciate that that mindset i had a a segue to my parenting thing so uh our dog uh we have an older beagle and when it rains she doesn't like to go outside to go to the bathroom right because she doesn't like water at all and this is known and my my son uh, who's 12, you know, takes care of the dog. And it doesn't mean that she doesn't have to go to the bathroom, though, right? <laughs> and so, like, you know, I'm telling him, I'm telling him all day, I'm like, hey, you need to take her outside and, like, give her some more time because she's an older dog. She takes some time to do her, to do her business, right? Yes. And she'll, like, walk outside and she'll, like, run back inside. So she's just holding it all day long. And I keep on telling Oliver, give her time, give her time. Well, it's 10:30 at night and she's barking to go outside. And I'm like, you did. Now she's like, she's held it so long, she's gotta go. And she's like, take me out. So I wake Oliver up and I, I explain to him, I'm like, hey, dude, you know, remember what we talked about earlier? You didn't take her out. And like, I could have taken her out. I was awake. But this is like for me as a parent, it's it's a weekend. He doesn't have to be up early tomorrow. This is a learning opportunity. You know, you're gonna <laughs> If you ignore your kids, they're going to wake you up in the middle of the night, right? So mm-hmm. he's going to be a parent one day. And so I get him up. I explain him the situation. I said, dude, take your time. She's not going to want to stay out there because it's still wet and raining. But she needs like five to ten minutes to like do her number, do her business. And so he goes down. He's stomping and whatever. And I'm like, I'm trying to be cool, collective dad as opposed to like, hey, don't behave that way, dad. Um, but I'm like, I'm just going to let him be. It's 1030 at night. He goes outside. A minute later, he's back inside. He's in his bed, and I'm, I turn to my wife and I go, hey, "He didn't. He he didn't listen to me at all. Like, I told him to be out there for five to ten minutes. He was out there for like thirty-five seconds. I guarantee you that dog's gonna be barking in like three minutes. And needless to say, the dog's barking in like three minutes. So we repeat mm-hmm. the process again, and again, it happens. He's out there for thirty seconds. He's back in. I said the same thing to Vanessa. Five minutes later, the dog's barking. Finally, I go, hey, Oliver, just do me a favor. Use this stopwatch. Don't come back in until it's over. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, the third time was the charm, right? And hopefully we learned a lesson, you know, that maybe maybe we should just be patient and focus on getting the job done that we know needs to be done instead of being upset at it and rushing through it. Because at the end of the day, the job still needs to get done. <laughs> And you're essentially mm-hmm. creating yourself more work. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take a lot more time if you don't do it right. Yeah. The first, second, or third time. The first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, you know, whatever. Like as we do in our country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a good episode, don't you think, John? I'm going to listen to it. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm not. I can't stand the sound of my voice. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if you're out there and you want to help out, uh, you can like and subscribe, share the show, 
Uh, John, you have anything else you want to add for the people? No. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. But I guess that'll be next week. So. That's right. All right. Peace and love. <laughs>